Okay. You can turn me down some. Let's start out with prayer tonight. Appropriate place to begin. And then we, I'll tell you, it's funny. It just kind of, I don't know whether to laugh sometimes or cry sometimes, but I probably spend two or three times as much preparing for Wednesday nights than I do for Sunday mornings. And it's, it's ironic, you know, with the involvement on Wednesday nights that I, I, I really, I tell you, it doesn't get me down. You know, it's just ironic. It's just kind of weird. So I guess for y'all, I guess just be encouraged that what you're participating in tonight has really had a lot of work and involvement and time and effort put into it. And I think in the Word, you know, you get out of it what you put into it. You know, the poking and prodding and scraping and clawing. And um, one of the things that I've enjoyed so far in Genesis, the first chapter of Genesis, is it is just rich. I mean just riches. Riches that will just impact you in so many cool ways. But um, really, I think what it comes down to, it's a good, what, what's in store is a good, healthy foundation. And we may not even realize how unhealthy our foundation may have been. And uh, that's kind of my place where I'm sitting here reading Genesis and studying it going, I've never known this. I've never seen this. Why, don't, why haven't I seen this? And then I may not be so confused about other truths. So there's some cool things in store. You know, I'll, um, I want to begin with prayer. And we have different, lots of different things going on, different people that are sick or different situations. I want to uh, lift up Jenny and her family tonight. Jenny just shared with me that they found her brother deceased this week. And um, she is, we're going to spend some time tonight and uh, opening the word together and just trying to understand what's going on there. And um, I think we can pray with Jenny tonight and Nick that God, and know that God is on his throne. And we don't have any answers, but we know the one who does. And um, there's something about that. And it's certainly not, um, doesn't make it feel all that better. But we want to lift you up and your family tonight. And then we'll jump into Genesis. Lord, we want to uh, turn this time over to you. I want to ask you just to be glorified in these next few minutes that we dig into your word. Pray that you will um, just open the truth to us, that you'll just uh, show us how to understand you more, show us how to worship you deeper and um, more aggressively. Um, Lord, pray that you'll just give her a big, give us a bigger view of you and your creation and how you work. And uh, we just pray at kind of the beginning of this study that you'll just do a cool work in a, in a people that are committed to dining on this word. Lord, we also want to pray for Jenny tonight and um, just heartbroken, heartbroken with her and her family. Lord, we just ask you to just give um, just a divine peace that that you give and you take away, and it's in your time. and And just pray that uh, right now that you're just given just a trust and a confidence that you're not caught on by surprise, uh, but you know all things, and um, that you're sovereign over all things. Um, just pray for our time together, uh, me and Jenny and Nick, as we open the Word that. You'll lead us to the truth that you'd have us dine on, and uh, that it would nourish us. Lord, we turn this time over to you, and uh, we look forward to digging in and walking with you in the next few minutes. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Genesis 1. I'm going to read it because I think I'll probably want to read the whole chapter every time we study it for the next however many weeks that may be. Uh, it may be three, three or four weeks here in Genesis 1. But let's start in the beginning. And I shared with you last week, I'm making the transition to the ESV. So if you need, if you don't have the ESV, your pew Bible in front of you is an ESV. And uh, you can follow along with me in the same version if you'd like. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the, of the waters. Let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two light, or the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, 
and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. I want to address first tonight some theories in how to read this first chapter of Genesis. When I was growing up, I, uh, my mom and I had these dialogues back and forth. I really felt like we should read it literally for what it says. And my mom had the notion that it was more um, kind of a, an age. A day represented an age. And in some ways, that's, that, that's kind of an idea to incorporate what we believe is scientific data. The carbon dating that says that our world is billions of years old and that things happened over the expanse of ages. And um, I found out that there's actually a theory that's called that. It's called the day-age theory. Now, I want to tell you right up front that I think the day-age theory is nonsense. I think it's nonsense to treat these days, each of these days as an age, because in, in this Bible, when it says yom, meaning day, it means day. I think there's also some factors in there that suggest that the day-age theory is not even viable because some things were created on one day that could not survive without what was created the next day, maybe a billion years later, according to some scientific data. Now, for example, the plants grew before the sun was created. Now, we know there's light before the sun was created. We'll look at that, that in a moment whenever we actually climb into the, path, the text. But plants need light. Now, plants could survive on the light from God, from the, the, the glory cloud is really what it's called the first three days. But plants follow the sun. They not only need the sun, they follow the sun. So the absence of sun for a, a, an age, essentially, is not a viable possibility. Plants growing without insects to pollinate them is another consideration. There were things that were created on one day that were dependent on things created the very next day. So this picture of a day-age theory is nonsense. I want to offer something that may help you kind of digest, well, what about carbon dating? What about the, you know, that they carbon date these rocks and say they're billions of years old? Or what if they, they carbon date different layers, strata of geographic formations, and they suggest that this sediment happened over billions of years? And what about that? Well, first of all, let me, let me share with you that carbon dating is very, 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 very inaccurate. Carbon dating, what essentially, would be like you walking into a room and watching a candle burn for an hour. And then having watched that candle burn for an hour, try and extrapolate how long that candle was before you came in the room. You don't know what that candle was exposed to in the period of time before that. You really don't even know if it was lit. All carbon dating is is measuring how much carbon evacuates an, an object over a period of time. And then backwards, it's called extrapolating what you anticipate was there in the first place. It's very, very inaccurate. Secondly... And this is a liberating thought for me, is the concept that the earth was created with the appearance of age. Don't you think about that for a minute? The earth was created with the appearance 
of age. If by some weird, crazy thing, we could be transported into day seven, you know, the day of rest of the the week, the creation week. We're walking around the Garden of Eden. We see Adam, who was created just the day before, walking around eating on some fruit. Not the forbidden fruit. It's a little bit early for that, but he's walking around eating some fruit, and he's petting some lines, you know, and you're like, hey, man, look, there's Adam. He looks like he's... 18, 19, 20 years old? Because we're using our reference for time to age him when in fact he's only a day old. You can't create an adult Adam without an appearance of age. You can't create a developed earth without an appearance of age. You can't create a rock without the thought and the appearance that that rock's been there for a long time. You can't create a tree without the appearance of age. I wonder if we were to cut trees down in the garden on day eight, if they'd have rings in them. (laughs) That's how we measure the age of a tree, right? This appearance of age is inherent with creation. So this concept that, hey, the earth looks like it's billions of years old and that it developed over ages and eons, we don't need to throw science on its ear. We need to view science through the lens of this Bible, not the other way around. See, that's the danger. When you view this through the lens of science, you're putting science above this. And we're not to do that, not the people of God. Okay? The day-age theory is nonsense. Secondly, there's a theory. It's called the gap theory. The gap theory says that there's an expanse of time between verse 1 and verse 2. A big expanse of time. And that millions of years took place during this this expanse between verse 1 and verse 2. And that that's where dinosaurs lived in that gap, and that they died, and that's all prehistoric before man, okay? It's an attempt, really, to reconcile a fossil record with Scripture. And this would mean that creatures evolved and died during a period before what happened. Creatures evolved and died, emphasis, died before what happened? Before the fall. Exactly. And what's the consequence of the fall? The first death that took place, well, the first physical death that took place was what? No, back up. The critter that provided clothing for Adam and Eve. No, it didn't kill a snake, unless it was snake skin. I, I think they... Uh, the animal skins. That's the very first death that took place in creation. So that would be basically you're, you're injecting something in here to try and reconcile a fossil record. Again, we don't let a fossil record interpret our Bible. We let our Bible interpret the fossil record. We're gonna, if we don't talk about it tonight, we're going to talk about dinosaurs. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool. They're in the first chapter here. Dinosaurs, believe it or not. Okay. The next theory is the framework hypothesis. The framework hypothesis just kind of says that these six days present like this general structure of what was made. The framework hypothesis has two parts to it. The first part proceeds from the assumption that the narrative of creation in Genesis 1 and 2 is not taken literally. That it's just kind of a figurative literary device. This week that unfolds is just a literary device for God essentially to communicate to man how man came about. The framework hypothesis is essentially says that God created all things by natural providence over billions of years. And again, that's taking the word yom, 
and saying, I, I don't like the definition of the word yom, so I think I'll just kind of in, incorporate or redefine yom to represent an age or to represent billions of years. My recommendation is when it says yom, it says yom, it says day, it says day. When it says the first day, that's the first day. And then it's a 24-hour period. There are things that are hung in the skies, like the sun and the moon, that mark off the days, that there seems to be a very clear picture of a 24-hour period. Okay? Let's climb into verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is a summary statement for the whole creation event. Okay? Just kind of a bird's-eye view, macro view of the whole first couple of chapters of the book of Genesis. Elohim is the name for God here in this first verse. Elohim is plural for God. Now, I want to tell you that there, there are people that are pretty conservative about it being plural and saying, oh, well, that just represents His majesty. His majesty is so big that, they rep- that it's represented as a plural. But I think I see in pictures of the Trinity all over the Bible from start to finish. I'm not going to build a theology. Oh, here's the Trinity right here, just in the name Elohim. But you're going to see words like, let's make man in our image. You're going to hear some things that point toward a um, persons of the Godhead. And we know from Hebrews chapter 1 and from John 1, 1, that Jesus was here in the beginning. And you're going to see in a moment, too, that the Spirit's there, too. So it's appropriate that there's a plural right from the beginning. Elohim creates the heavens and the earth. When you see the heavens and the earth, recognize it as like part and parcel. Ever heard that phrase before? Our kit and caboodle is a UK version of the same thing. Kit and caboodle, part and parcel. Part and parcel. It's the whole thing, and Elohim creates it. Now, I want to begin really before we kind of climb into verse 2, which is going to be uh, actually an outline for the first chapter. I want to ask you to think on something for a moment. Let's, we'll have a little discussion on this. What's, the, what's significant about beginning with God as creator? Let, let, me, let me ask a different question that, that may be easier to answer. What happens to us if we don't begin with God as creator? In terms of our understanding of salvation, in terms of our understanding of being, everything. Just kind of throw some ideas out there. Okay. He's not all-powerful. Who is if he's not the creator? Chance? Maybe, yeah, exactly. There's no face to this thing. It's, we might call it chance or circumstance, or, but there is no God. Essentially, it's a godless approach. If, if God is not creator, then there's this thing that just happened, and we're neck deep in the middle of it, and we have no way to make sense of it. What else happens if God is not, if we don't start out with God beginning as creator? If we don't have God as the creator, then we evolve, then we become the most Who's the authority in that sort of mindset? Me. The authority in kind of an evolving design that we've evolved and that there, you know, God is not creator is that we become the authority. Our chance and circumstance, <laughs> you know, because, hey, man, that's just bad luck. Bad luck becomes the, or luck, good luck or bad luck becomes the, the driving force, the prime mover, big M mover. 
if you don't start with Him as Creator. Also consider that if you don't start with Him as Creator, then He has no authority at all. He's just a source of suggestions. And a source of kind of maybe some positive input. Like, ah, that's, that's profitable to some degree. You don't see it as authoritative. Like the big organ that you ever heard in a big sanctuary or in a big um, theater, this big organ, you don't hear that. You don't hear that when it, when it comes to God. There is, no, there is no organ. It's just circumstance, or it's just we'll take it day by day. What are some other possibilities, some other things to consider if He is not Creator? That's, it says this is a lie, essentially. Places where He says, I am. <laughs> you know, things like that are just like, oh, that's a little bit strong, God. It's a little bit extreme, you know. But him being creator helps us reconcile that and understand that. I think one of the things that I enjoy about what we're doing with our children on Wednesday nights is we're doing something that's called a catechism. And it's basically a kind of a system of teaching our children. Does anybody know the first question in our children's catechism? Who made you? That's the place to start with a kid. We tend to start with a place like you're a special little snowflake and God has a special plan for your life. Who's the God of that? Really, you are. You're, the, you're special. It's not saying that your kids aren't special. And it's not saying that you don't want to say, hey, man, God has, a, God, is cool. God, God has a cool plan for you, possibly. I don't know, you might be Esau. But we don't go there. We don't gravitate there automatically. We've got to begin at the foundation, and the foundation is that God made you. What else did God do? He made me in all things. That's what I want to hear out of my kid's mouth as foundational, because then everything else falls into place as authoritative, and it's not optional. So it's an appropriate place to start for our entire Bible. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth, and the heavens and the earth encompass the whole kit and caboodle, part and parcel. Yeah, we can also, kind of dovetailing off that, we can interpret what he says through our lens. We determine what he says and whether we even will take it or not. Ah, I'm not up for that. I think I'll pass on that guidance and that insight. And it's certainly not considered commandment, what he has to say, but when we realize that he's creator, that if you create something, now this illustration breaks down at some point, as does every illustration that's man-made, but... If you create something, I'm thinking, Scott, at your house. Now, I know that you do building stuff for other people, but if you create something at your own home, that's yours. You can do whatever you want with it. You can paint it pink. You can hang lace from it. You could put barbed wire on it. You're the authority over it. So when you see God as creator, then his commandments, you recognize that he has full rights over us. And those commandments have a depth to them and a gravity that we wouldn't have if we didn't see him. As creator first. Where our Bible begins must be where we begin. With him first as creator. I'm thinking about how many times I've shared the gospel with people. And I didn't begin with God made you. I mean for a long time. The faith outline and things like that. 
And I know God can use those things, so please don't hear me. If you've been through different sort of gospel, sharing the gospel sort of programs like faith training or evangelism explosion, things like that, I'm not condemning those because God obviously uses less than ideal things. He's in the business of using less, less than ideal. But I think the appropriate place to start when we're sharing faith with someone is to say, listen, God made you. He made the whole kit and caboodle. He made part and parcel. He made heavens and earth. And he made you. And that's why what he has to say is an authority or is authoritative. It's an appropriate place to begin. Uh, this it begins with in the beginning. In the beginning, God already was. Okay, there was never a time when God was not. And the same can be true of said of Christ. John chapter 1, verse 1 says what? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay? We're going to, actually, there's a pretty cool um, glimpse of that. Yeah, I'm not going to get there yet. There was never a time when he was not. The early church fathers of the, the Christian faith actually gave that phrase to Christ. And it also applies, obviously, to the Godhead. There was never a time when he was not. He's always been. So in the beginning, he already was. Now, let's look at verse 2. Verse 2 is an outline for the rest of the chapter. It's a way to understand the rest of the chapter. The earth was first without form, and secondly, void. That's the outline for the first six days, and I'm going to explain that in a minute. And darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The way this thing carries on, now I want to go back and look at verse 1 just for a second. It says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now, if I were to keep reading, it would go something like this. Now, as for the earth, it was without form and void. So the rest of this passage is about him sharing how he's created the earth. This first verse is when he says the heavens and the earth, that is the heavens of he- heaven of heavens. Now, later on in the chapter, when you see references to the heavens, that's talking about the sky or space. The chapter 1 is the only place in the first chapter where you see a reference to heaven, heaven, like where we're going to go be with the Lord. Okay? That's an important interpretive guide. The earth was without form and void. This is an a outline for the rest of the, the uh, chapter in that the without form in Hebrew is the word tohu, and void is the word bohu. Tohu, without form, means vain, chaotic, and empty. Empty is probably the best translation of it. There's just, there's just nothing there. And without form is, refor- is referring to that. And then void means empty of furnishings. Okay, so the first thing, without form, means there's nothing there. And then void means in that nothingness, there's no furnishings either. And the way this actually outlines the first chapter is the first three days address the without formness. And the next three days address the voidness. The first three days basically address separating things. God is differentiating between light and day, waters above, waters below, etc. And then the next three days are, now that we've set some, some uh, spheres or realms now we're going to furnish it in the, la- in the second three days. 
So that's, that's how to interpret this first chapter is with this tohu and bohu, this without form and void. Let me share with you too, this is, man, I'm telling you this first chapter is just so rich. The word for earth in Hebrew is eretz. There's also another word for dirt and earth. It's usually translated dirt or soil. Does anybody know what that is? It's where Adam gets his name. Adama. Because Adam was taken from Adama. Okay? But Eretz, let me differentiate between the two. Eretz is cultural land. Okay? Adama is cultivatable land. Eretz is like the land of Canaan. It means a place where you go where there's cities and structure and life and design and ground, Adama, is dirt. Okay, there's the reason why I want to differentiate between the two is because God created Eretz. He created design. Uh, he didn't just create dirt. He created a system, a design, gravity. <laughs> I mean, that's all Eretz. So when we read here earth and we hear that he's created Eretz, we need to enjoy that there's design in that. And the fact that I drop my pen every time, it's going to do the same thing. Thank you. They don't have to wonder what's going to happen in the next step if gravity's not going to be there. That he built a system and it's, it's got order and structure. And that addresses the without form issue. Without form meaning that it's just chaos and random and vain and empty. Okay, the three acts that address, or the three days, and the three acts in the first three days that address without form is that God separates light from darkness. Okay, we're going to look at them specifically. God creates a firmament with the waters above and the waters below, and that God separates dry land from water. The first three days, he's in the business of delineation and designation and separation. And then the next three days, he addresses the void issue. God places greater and lesser lights in heavens. He's furnishing those spheres that he's already created. Sun, moon, stars. And then God places fish in the waters and birds in the firmament. More furniture. And then God places beasts of the earth and man who rules over it all. Okay? Now, over the course of these days, there's kind of like this eruption of energy. Things kind of escalate. You know, he speaks and the light separates. And, you know, it kind of seems like it's hard to really get your head around. It's kind of moves in the direction of this kinetic energy where you just see this explosion where the sun and moon light the sky, birds swarm the air and fish team in the sea, and critters cover the earth by the end of it. It's like um, I'm kind of thinking about trying to envision what this must have been like. I mean, you can only imagine what this would have been like. I grew up squirrel hunting when I was a kid. Right? In Louisiana, you eat squirrels. So, Sorry, you guys. I, I know that might be weird for you. I know how people creep out about that. But you eat squirrels in Louisiana. So I grew up squirrel hunting. And you go in the woods when it's pitch black dark. You know, the sun hadn't come up yet. You sit down by, by this big cypress tree. It's got vines hanging all around you. And you sit there with your shotgun. And I mean, just a little kid. I could barely hold a shotgun. Dad says, sit here. The squirrels will start coming out right when the sun comes up. And I remember sitting there and thinking about how quiet you could hear your heart beat. But then as that morning begins to come alive and these sparrows start singing and these squirrels start moving and the, 
the wind starts blowing and the day essentially comes to life. This kinetic energy is taking place just in that morning. It's kind of a picture of this whole creation just coming to life and moving in the direction of this eruption. Just thinking about just listening, just thinking about what it would be like to listen to the macaws call and the spider monkeys. You ever heard of spider monkey? Man, spider monkeys make the coolest sounds. And the elephant's trumpet and the dinosaurs chew. Just thinking about all these sounds, this um, cacophony, I think is the word that I'm thinking of. It's just like this symphony of sound when just days before there's nothingness. It's pretty awesome to think about. Now, these first three days and these second three days are each called triads. These triads, the first triad where they address without form and the second triad where he furnishes the spheres that he's created, they move in the direction from heaven to earth, which is so good. I'm so glad God did that because it just shows us right in the very beginning that things work in that direction. It's the way we should interpret all things as we read our Bible, as we try and interpret our surroundings, is recognize they move in the direction from heaven to earth. Insight, hope, understanding, Direction, deliverance, they all, move from man, from, they all move manward from God. It's got to be the direction that we see this. And as this creation unfolds on this first week, everything moves from Godward to manward, earthward from heaven, earthward from heaven. And that's important for man to know too because man is not the source of all things. God is. So I'm so glad that he moved in that direction. Now, he also says in this first, uh, or in this second verse, that the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy chapter 32. One of the things that I mentioned last week that we're going to see in Genesis is we're going to see little, I'm calling them loops. It's not a good word. It's just a word that helps me appreciate what I'm beginning to see in my Old Testament and now in my New Testament, how God, his redemptive pattern, and how he's given us glimpses of how he's going to work over the ages. And Genesis, obviously, is the beginning of a lot of these loops. And again, that loop's not a great word. It's just something that helps me understand that these things happen over and over again. But I'll show you that we have a a picture there of a loop already where we have without form, and then we have the Spirit of God hovering over that. Listen to this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 10 and 11. And this is regarding Jacob, our God's chosen people. He found him in a desert land and in the howling without form. Tohu. In the howling emptiness of the wilderness. He encircled him. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions, hovering over them. Who has the New American Standard? Anybody have New American Standard? Did everybody make the ESV translation already? Do you have the New American Standard? Does hovering in there? Is that word in there? It flutters over its young. It's the same word from Genesis. And it's the same picture. That's, that's what God does. He's taking these formless places and he's hovering over them. And in this case, he's hovering over his people. Okay, verse 3. And God said, 
let there be light. We're actually going to look at the first day, so it'll be three through five. He said, let there be light, and bam, there was light. Bam is my insertion. I just like to. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated. Remember I told you, these first three days is going to be a picture of separation, where he's creating realms and spheres. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. I want to start, first of all, with God spoke. God spoke is just, I mean, it's all through this chapter. And we need to appreciate the gravity of that. It's called fiat, divine fiat, whenever you create something through the spoken word. Now, some of you might be at a level at L3 or something like that where you say something and it's as if it's done. Now, in reality, it's not done in that very moment. But imagine if you were to speak something and in that moment, it's done. That's divine fiat. That God spoke, there's pictures of that, obviously, in John chapter 1, verse 1. I mentioned, and we've already quoted what that says in, refer, in reference to Christ, that in, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The coolest thing, Viviana, um, who uh, was a member of us and is now with uh, Commerce Community Church, she told me that the Spanish Bible says, in the beginning was the verb. Is that just awesome? In the beginning was the verb. That's appropriate here because the spoken word is the action. It's like God speaks, and, and we know from Hebrews chapter 1 that Jesus is the agent of creation. The word goes into creative action. It's appropriate to call him a verb. Now, I, I, don't, you know, I, I can't say that I can translate Spanish, so I can't say that that's true or not, but I do like that, that in the beginning was the verb. Listen to these words from R.C. Sproul. I was reading uh, recently, this, this book is called uh, Holiness of God, R.C. Sproul. It's an awesome read. Awesome read. I encourage it. If you're looking for something to read in addition to your Bible study, listen to these words from him. The command created its own molecules. He's talking about divine fiat, when God spoke. The command created its divine molecules to carry the sound waves of God's voice farther and farther into space. Yet sound waves take too long. The speed of this imperative exceeded the speed of light. As soon as the words left the Creator's mouth, things began to happen. Where His voice reverberated, stars appeared, glowing in unspeakable brilliance in tempo with the songs of the angels. The force of divine energy splattered against the sky like a kaleidoscope of color hurled from the palette of a powerful artist. Comets crisscrossed the sky with flashing tails like 4th of July skyrockets. The supreme architect gazed at his complex blueprint and shouted commands for the boundaries of the world to be set. He spoke, and the seas were shut behind doors, and the clouds were filled with dew. He bound the Pleiades and buckled the belt of Orion. He spoke again, and the earth began to fill with orchards in full bloom. Blossoms burst forth like springtime in Mississippi. The lavender hues of plum trees danced with the brilliance of azaleas and forsythia. God spoke once more and the waters teemed with living things. The snail sneaked beneath the shadowy form of the stingray while the great marlin broke the surface of the water to promenade on the waves with his tail. 
Again he spoke, and the roar of the lion and the bleeding of the sheep were heard. Four-footed animals, eight-legged spiders, and winged insects appeared. It's awesome. It's from the spoken word, the divine fiat. It helps me understand that when Jesus stood in the graveyard where Lazarus was buried, that thankfully he called him by name. Because if he had not designated him by name, a graveyard would have emptied. That's what Augustine said. It's a good thing he called him by name. It would have emptied with all those graves being vacant just from the spoken word. Come forth, Lazarus. That shouldn't surprise us because he said, let there be light. And bam, there was light. His spoken word is that powerful. That's how powerful this book is. It's awesome, man. It gives me goosebumps just to think about it. Now, also know that he created light from darkness. More pictures of how he operates throughout the entire, is is redemptive pattern throughout the ages. He creates light from darkness. The day comes after the night. Don't you think about some of the redemptive patterns that we've seen before? Noah and the flood. Noah is delivered in the backdrop of the darkness of the wickedness of man. Egypt, or Israel, is delivered from the backdrop, the darkness of slavery and bondage in Egypt. And they're drawn into the light by the deliverer. It's all over the Bible, this pattern. Yahweh delivering Israel from Babylon. And then Christ in the backdrop of our sin condition delivering us. He creates light in the backdrop of darkness. You can't appreciate light without the darkness. So you have to have it. And here it is right from the beginning. Where we ought to understand this. Without the darkness we're not going to see the light. He named the light and the darkness. What's, what's significant about him naming light and darkness? What does that mean? What's naming a picture of? Dominion. We found, um, man, this, this season with all the rain, it's like the box turtles. Well, all kind of turtles have just come out of the woodwork, man. They're everywhere. And I love turtles. I'm like the turtle whisperer. I love turtles. I really am, yeah. And, in fact, I had an aquarium at the house that had four big old box turtles at one time. I just got convicted after a while. I was like, man, these guys need to go free. And I set all of them free but one. But we had one little one. We had one little one that has stripes all over his shell. And Daniel and I, I was going to give him to Daniel. I said, Daniel, this will be your turtle. And he's like, okay, cool. I said, well, let's let's think of a name. And he gave him the name Stripity. I'm like, Stripity's a good name. But he was able to give that turtle his name because he has dominion over that turtle. So when God names things, and you see it all through the first chapter, it's a picture of ownership and a picture of dominion. But he doesn't name all things. This is going to be important over the development of the chapter. He doesn't name everything. He gives dominion to some other, a specific other agent. Now, let me also point this out to you and think about this for a moment. What is light? Is light the absence of darkness? Is light the opposite? Is light a dualism with darkness? Think about that for a minute. Okay. But maybe in the absence of energy. It's taking energy into a place where that energy is absent. Okay. But it's not a dualism. We have this picture of light and darkness being competing with each other. Take the darkest room in this building and take the littlest match in there. Who's going to win? 
Light's going to win. But realize that that light is a projection. It's got to have a source. To create light is also a picture of it coming from a source. And at least these first three days, and this is going to be so important on the fourth day, when we see what's created on the fourth day, and we think about the significance of what was light in the first three days, the sun was created on the fourth day. That's all I'm going to say. And consider this. Yet there's light. Yet there's light. I'm telling you, when this, when this hits you, it's going to rock your world, and it's going to liberate you. It's just awesome. But at this point, the light is coming from the heavenly glory cloud. It's the same light that filled the temple with the Shekinah glory. And what we ought to see in this first chapter is we ought to see like this cosmic tabernacle being built where God is, man, he is the light in that tabernacle. And these first three days, there's no sun. There's the true source of light. And it's a heavenly, heavenly glory cloud. More on that later. Let's look at verse 6. I think we may get through the first three days. We'll see. But here's the second day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate. Remember, we're addressing that without form. We're delineating and designating and separating. Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven And there was evening and there was morning the second day. Another word for this expanse is the word firmament. Kind of an old-fashioned word. I love old-fashioned words. Firmament. Sounds like a battle hymn or a public word or something. Is it in there? It ought to be. I mean, just just sounds like an awesome place. Another word for that, another reference for the firmament and this expanse that he created is the blue vault of heaven. The blue vault of heaven. Turn to Exodus chapter 24. I'm going to give you a glimpse of the blue vault of heaven and where it sits. Now realize, again, I gave you an interpretive guide at the very beginning. This is not referring to heaven like where you go if you're going to be with the Lord. This is referring to the heavens that we look out at and we see the birds flying around in the firmament. That heavens. Okay? Exodus chapter 24, I'm going to give you a glimpse of the blue vault of heaven. 24 verses 9 and 10. Then Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu, that's before they offered strange fire when they were still in action, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone like the very heaven for clearness. That's the blue vault of heaven right there. And where is it? It's under his feet. It's under his feet, another picture of dominion. But this blue vault of heaven is pretty, pretty awesome when you think about it. And so what it is is separated waters from below. To separate, it, the waters are separated from below to above. God named the heaven or the sky, again, a picture of dominion. Okay? The waters above... Let me help you, help you understand what that was. You may have heard this before. If you've done any sort of creation research at any point or tried to understand creationism, the waters above kind of points to this canopy, that this uh, terrarium. You ever make a terrarium when you're a kid? Big pickle jar, put some dirt in there, you put a few, few plants in there, and then you put a little piece of saran wrap on the top and rubber band, and it gets real moist in there, and this water con- uh, 
condensates on the top of the on the bottom of the saran wrap at the top of the jar. That's like what the whole earth was. And like there was as much ocean in the sky in the expanse up above us as there is in the oceans. There was, there was an ocean essentially above and an ocean below, and these were separated. And this, in many ways, would explain the fertile climate that you could expect during Eden. The fertile climate also that dinosaurs would flourish in. The real temperate, mild climate that dinosaurs would flourish in then that they wouldn't flourish in now. Okay? There's also some thoughts that maybe that's why people live so old or live so long during that period is because in, in a, you know, if you think about it, um, sometimes when somebody has wounds and they're caring for these wounds, they'll treat that in kind of a hyperbaric sort of chamber and try and, you know, in, kind of inculcate some sort of oxygenated atmosphere into this wound because it, 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 it helps with regeneration. That maybe people lived a lot longer in this sort of climate than they do now. It's much more um, temperate climate. But essentially what happened at the flood is that this ocean above is dumped. Now I want you to notice that, now we hadn't really bathed in each day yet, but notice that this day he doesn't say, and it was good. Just think about that. I'm going to read that, that, that day again and notice an absence of, and it was good. He pronounces that on every other day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. Where is it was good? It's the only day that he left that out. And some people believe that it's because he he undid that day, essentially, in the flood. He's calling things good. Now, all creation is good. In fact, he sits back on Sunday and says, man, it's good. It's all good. But in this specific thing where he separates the waters above from the waters below, knowing that he's going to undo that later in the flood, may be the reason that he doesn't pronounce it as final. He kind of leaves that out, that maybe it's not quite finished yet. And it will be finished in the flood when that upper ocean goes and Noah and his remnant are surviving the flood. Yeah. Yeah, I think that I think this is the only day that he leaves that out. Let's look at day 3. We've got time to look at it. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. Again, more separation. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which there is seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the third day. Okay, here's the separation of the land and the sea, and he pronounces this as good. And he names the earth Eretz, and he names the sea. Again, pictures of dominion. I was thinking about, you know, I... 
I remember preaching over the Ten Commandments. It was, one, it was really the first series of sermons that I did here four years ago. And thinking about Sinai quaking. You know, as Sinai quaked and Moses is going up the mountain. And in view of this, in view of his dominion over all earth, no duh, Sinai quaked. That doesn't amaze me anymore necessarily because for a mountain to quake, all of earth is under his dominion. And when you think about some of the things that we've seen before, like the Red Sea parting, well, no duh, he's got dominion over the seas. The Jordan parting. Well, of course, he's got dominion over the Jordan. What's a New Testament picture of dominion? Having to do with sea, specifically. Christ high step in the Sea of Galilee. Owning it. Because he's got dominion over it. Man, I love that. In view of this, in view of this picture where he created those things, and he named them, he's walking on the water he named Man, it bows to him. Gravity doesn't, doesn't own him. He owns gravity. And he owns density and all those other things that we're so bound by or we think we're bound by. Pretty awesome picture. Vegetation, seed-bearing f- plants, and fruit-bearing trees were created this day. And it was just an awesome picture of his design where he builds this creation, makes this creation that's in motion, that's in living motion. Think about the design of a plant with fruit that bears seed. I mean, just the wisdom that's represented in his creation is remarkable. Now, some thoughts on the first three days, and we're going to shut it down after these first three days. They address the issue again of being without form. He creates realms and spheres. Now, here's what's important about the first three days not having a sun. The first three days are not solar days because the sun had not been made. The first three days show that daytime is created by the Lord, not by the light of the sun. He appoints the sun to project that light in the next day. But God is the source of all light. And that's why in the new heavens and the new earth and new Jerusalem, we won't need a sun anymore because we'll have him there. So who's the provider of light? Yahweh is the Elohim. We'll use our our Genesis 1 reference. Elohim is the provider of it, at least the first three days of it. And then the sun takes over the pattern from God. And the sun and the moon are just clocks, essentially. They're just clocks for measuring the day. And they don't determine the length of the day. God determines the length of the day. So that's why people that worship the sun or worship the moon say, Hey man, you just worship in a clock. You need to worship the one that hung the sun and the moon. You need to worship the one that designed it and created it and the one that gave them their appointment to to rule over the day and to rule over the night. So don't look at the sun as the provider of light. Look to God as the ultimate provider of light. Don't look to your physicians as the provider of your health. I'm not saying don't go to your physician. Just like you don't bask in the sun. I'm saying enjoy the sun. Recognize who the real provider of health and recovery and wellness is. It's ultimately the great physician. I love this picture in these first three days of an absence of sun. Don't look to your paycheck and your J-O-B as your provider. Look to the God of that paycheck and the God of that J-O-B, the one that created even the opportunity for you to work as your ultimate provider. 
Now, the naming is over until chapter 2, verse 19. God doesn't name anything else. There's an implied name in Adam, where he creates Adam on the sixth day. He says, we cre- I, let, let's create man. The word for man is Adam in Hebrew. Okay? So there's an implied naming, but specifically, the next time something is naming is in chapter 2, verse 19. Let's look at who's naming. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. God appoints and names a few things, and then he gives dominion over to man. Now you start naming. What else does man name? Say it out loud, Steve. Woman. Sorry, ladies. It's a picture of dominion. It's a picture of dominion. And... um, Man, right from the very beginning, God's design, His fingerprints, blueprints, all over, th- all over this. Now, next um, Wednesday, we're going to start on day four, and I think we'll probably get through the rest of the chapter. We may not. But I encourage you to just look at what's made and look at what's not there or look at what phrases are used over and over again and start to just kind of ask questions and chew on those sort of things. That's good Bible study. It's savoring His Word. And I hope there's some things tonight where you're like, man, I can't believe in the first 13 verses the sort of things that I'm seeing now. The whole first chapter is like that. And the whole rest of the book is going to be like that too. So we've got some cool things in store. It's going to be hard work. I encourage you to dine on it between Wednesdays. And it will be so much more profitable for you when we do sit down on Wednesday nights. Does anybody have any questions? Anything they want to share, an observation or a question before we... We'll talk about dinosaurs next week. Okay? Promise. Anything? Cleared it all up. Everybody has a good feel for the first... Are there some Well, there's some things that make me... You know, like the old song, things that make you go, hmm. Things that make you go, hmm. But they don't, I, I wouldn't say that they really throw me because I'm really, and this is, I have a heavy science background, you know, college and graduate school. I appreciate science, but I also know how, you know, it's just kind of a moving target, you know. It's just, you know, if they find something that seems to throw this on its ear, my first response would be, hmm. My second response would be, I'm going to interpret it through this. But I'd still look at it. I wouldn't just dismiss it. Oh, that's silly. That's stupid. You know, forget that. Um, you know, there, there's some, like one thing that's made me go, hmm, is the amount of time that it takes for light to travel to the earth. You know, and if, if God hung the stars that, you know, the billions of light years that it would take for, the, for that light to be enjoyed here and appreciated the light years. And I, I, I guess him creating the earth with the appearance of age really helps me because it makes me also realize that if he can hang the stars, he can hang the beams between the star and my eyeball like that. You know, so I, the things that we use as markers scientifically, that's really what science is. You set up a hypothesis and you test it and you measure these markers and the, the things that were markers, they just don't fit in that first week because it's just everything is is so new. There's no history. Science has got to look to history 
And really, scientific experiments is just creating history. You're creating a a historical database of this is how this chemical responded with this chemical this time. Here's how it responds the next time. And you're making assumptions, sound assumptions, from that history. So there was no history at that point. So it's, it's hard for me to get really a curveball. But do you have anything that, that hits you as kind of something that I may not have addressed tonight? That I, and, and I may not even answer it tonight. It might be the kind of thing that I do some research on. Well, that, that's the biggest one for me. The light? The light. Yeah. But, you know, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the cool thing is, I just cannot imagine that God is not going to be pleased with us just taking his word at face value. You know, if we stand before him someday and he says, oh, you know, actually, that first six days was six ages, you know, and I just don't think he's going to say, shame on you for (laughs) taking me literally. You know what I mean? I just... And I don't want to err at all, but if I were to err, I would want to err on the side of saying, well, that's what it says. Okay, I trust you, you know. Morris. Yeah, yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Everything, you know, here's the weird thing, and I'll just leave you with this thought, and then we'll pray. Whenever you also begin to see time as a creature, then things kind of fall into place. Because even that issue, well, it takes so much time for light to travel that distance. You're not recognizing that time is as in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. It doesn't say in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth in the context of time. I mean, it was... Time was, was a, create, a creature. In fact, it was kind of one of the first day where he says, and there was day and, and there was night. Exactly. I mean, time is a creature. God owns time. He's good at redeeming the time. He says, make the most of your time, for the days are evil. But, I mean, he, he's made it. it. It's a creature. So whenever you begin to see that in terms of creation also, that before creation, there was no time. I mean, who cared? You know? Right. We expect that in most instances, in most most instances, that it will be here after we're gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and without, you know, we, we said in, in the beginning God created. Mm-hmm. In the end, God will uncreate. And, and then recreate. Yep. And then recreate something yep. else. Yeah. So uh, it's kind of like with the age thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if if we think it's 
Yeah, Christy Carwell's good at making them look old. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. Well, that's some good, uh, good discussion. You know, this may stimulate some thoughts that you have for next week. I'll ask this of you. If you've got a question that you're, that's lingering tonight that you haven't expressed or something that you're chewing on, send me an email. Give me the chance to, to dig. I, I try not to answer a question that I haven't really thought out in advance and studied because that's, that's uh, irresponsible just to try and answer a question. I'd rather have a chance to field it and chew on it. And I'm not saying don't ask questions next Wednesday night, but if you have one you're, that's, that's sticking with you right now, send it to me and we'll, we'll chew on it. Next three days, next Wednesday. Let me pray. <clears throat> Lord, I pray that if uh, there's one big, fat truth that we walk away with tonight is that you are the source of all things and that everything just moves manward from you and um, that you're the source of light, you're the source of hope, insight, understanding, truth, and we just enjoy that tonight. Um, as just dealing with a variety of different situations from uh, issues at work to health issues to money issues to loss um, to even confusion over sin issues. Lord, we just, just pray for just an orientation in your direction as we see you the source of all things. Lord, we're thankful that it just takes your spoken word and that you create and that you, you do your work and it's powerful and that you are almighty pray we have a better, deeper appreciation for that tonight, that we are speaking to you and um, the mighty creator. We enjoy that tonight, and uh, we are humbled by even that privilege of standing or kneeling or being prostrate in your throne room. I pray also, Lord, that just as uh, we've considered the things that were separated in these first three days that we can look to the heavens and that we can look to the night sky we can look to a morning sunrise we can hear the the uh, birds and the day come alive and it'll make us mindful of you it'll make us think about your fiat and your wisdom your creativity your grace and even creating a man that can enjoy you creating a place for us to live, creating light, ultimately. Lord, I just pray that we'll be mindful of these things as we sit and savor this first chapter. We pray for more, um, more wisdom, more insight. Pray that we'll be responsive. Pray that we'll chew on this between Wednesdays and that we'll enjoy your design. We love you so much, Lord. Uh, we pray these things tonight in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, y'all.